Let's talk about your last patient. This is a 42-year-old female, was initially diagnosed with a left side of breast cancer in the spring of 2006, and she was found to have on biopsy a moderately differentiated infiltrating ductal carcinoma, no lymphatic invasion, and she had a left partial mastectomy and sentinel node procedure, was found to have a grade 3 invasive ductal cancer, 2.7 centimeters of maximal dimension with negative margins. She had one out of three sentinel nodes positive, so she was a T1C N1, no evidence of distant metastatic spread, and her cancer was ER and PR negative. It had a very high KI67 at 85%, and the HER2 new was negative. So she eventually was treated on the NSABP trial that we had open at that time, which was B38, and she was randomized to the arm that got TAC chemotherapy. I guess... That study, which I guess hasn't reported yet, Skip, looks at TAC versus dose-dense ACT versus dose-dense ACT slash GEM. Any thoughts, before we get on more in terms of her case, any thoughts about that study? It seems like we've gotten so far into biologics and oncotype, et cetera. We don't think about trials like this, but this one's still percolating out there. Correct. I mean, you know, it's going to be worth seeing if there's a surprise there. I think we're all expecting the results to be fairly similar, and the tiebreaker will be if there's any dramatic toxicity differences in the groups. So then what happened? Well, she completed her chemotherapy in late 2006, had radiation therapy to the breast, and just about the time that she was completing the radiation therapy, she noted a mass in the contralateral or right breast. She had a PET scan done, which showed multiple areas of uptake in lymph nodes, including the jugular chain, the right breast mass was hot, and both axillae. Now, she just finished radiation therapy to the left, so we could possibly explain that but certainly not the right side. So she had a biopsy done and was found to have, again, grade 3 infiltrating ductal carcinoma, a lot of necrosis, again, triple negative treatments. So at this point, we felt that she did indeed have, you know, metastatic disease with involvement of lymph nodes and other areas, and she did not have any evidence of bone metastasis at this time or liver metastases. So I felt since she's a metastatic patient, triple negative patient, I wanted to treat her with a Avastin regimen. So she received Taxol, Carboplatin, and Avastin, which she received in the spring and summer of 2007. She tolerated this quite well, had an excellent response in the breast, and underwent a salvage mastectomy in the fall of 2007. She had some lymph nodes looked at under the right arm, and this was negative at this point. There was still some residual tumor in the breast, which is 4.5 centimeters. Again, this was all triple negative malignancy. So she was now, again, as far as we could tell, in the breast free of disease, but had shown evidence on her prior scans of disease outside the breast. So at this point, we continued her on uh, a Vastin regimen. I felt that she had responded with improvement to that, and certainly the Vastin had not failed her, so we continued her on that regimen, and we substituted gemcitabine in, and she continued on that through until late 2008. At this point, her PET scan had shown a complete remission, and she was starting to get some difficulties with her platelet counts, so she'd been placed for most of 2008 on just Avastin as a single agent, as a maintenance, receiving it every two weeks with no chemotherapy. So she had basically two PET scans, which were continuing to show a complete remission. 
A follow-up scan, which was done in late 2008, again showed some uptake in the right axilla. This was biopsy and again found to be triple negative breast cancer. So at this point, we tried to resume her on, since this had happened with her being off of all chemotherapy for almost a year, only on Avastin, we tried to resume the gemcitabine, which she tolerated well, but her platelet count has remained somewhat low, running in the sort of 50,000 range, so we didn't think we could continue with that. So she was started just recently on Zolota, and the main question we have with her is should we continue her on Avastin as a maintenance? She is in general tolerated it quite well aside from some hypertension. So did you have to treat the hypertension? Yes, she is on treatment for the hypertension. That was easily controlled? Reasonably so, although today her blood pressure was still somewhat up, so we increased her dose of lisinopril. One of the other things that's coming up with her is this was my last visit with her today, so it was good to have Dr. Burris here to consult because she, her husband has been transferred and she is moving to another state in the south, not that far from where Dr. Burris practices, so he was able to give us some good insights to physicians to refer her to up there. So that's one issue with her is transitioning from one physician that she's had a long relationship with for going on three years now with metastatic disease and also the issue of continuing Avastin for right or wrong with multiple cycles of chemotherapy. So Skip, what about capecitabine and bevacizumab? We're kind of going back and forth about this over the last few years in terms of whether there's any benefit. We have a press release out from the Ribbon 1 study, but nobody's seen the data suggesting that there's a benefit when you add Bev to CAPE in the first-line setting. How do you put all this together today? You know, I think that bevacizumab as a try for the metastatic setting with the paclitaxel data is certainly very, very impressive. I share your disappointment that at San Antonio Breast, we didn't see the full presentation of Ribbon 1, but we hear progression-free survival was positive for that trial, and in particular for the Cape Cytobine subgroup. I mean, it's a very reasonable thing to consider in a patient who's had plenty of taxane in the past. She's also appropriately received regimens with gemcitabine and the platinums, and so you're down to thinking about things that won't exacerbate the effects of neuropathy, things that might be a little bit more general on her counts, the platelets being an issue with her. I do like the idea of continuing bevacizumab. My colleagues and I disagree with this some, and certainly this goes around and around expert panels where folks think there's little evidence for continuing it. But it's just been my impression in these patients that have had great responses to bevacizumab that when you take it away from the patient, it's almost like you've taken your finger out of the dike. So I'm looking forward to seeing more trials. Ribbon 2 will be an interesting result as well. But I believe that bevacizumab plays an important role for many of these patients, in particular here where you don't get to continue her two therapy or hormonal therapy because she's triple negative. I mean, I like the idea of a biologic being continued. So capecitabine is a reasonable choice. I talked a minute ago about the effects of ixabepilone in triple negative patients. One of the problems is, and somebody that's had a lot of taxane, the primary toxicity for ixabepilone is neuropathy, and so you worry about exacerbating that. She's got a great quality of life. She obviously had a great experience with Lowell and the clinic here. And so I think taking a well-tolerated oral regimen for a while, hopefully, again, to repeat the analogy of keeping the finger in the dike, continuing the Avastin, hopefully we can get a little further down the road. I mentioned and we talked with her about some of the new therapies coming along for triple negative patients. 
We mentioned the PARP inhibitors a while back. I think there's a number of biologics that might begin to play a role in triple negative patients, including some new antibodies. So a woman as young as her, we're doing what we can to keep her comfortable until we get to the next best therapy. So are you thinking about getting BRCA testing on her in anticipation of maybe using a PARP inhibitor? Well, that's a great thought, Lowell. You know, I mean, that's something we could certainly pass along to the docs in Richmond. You mentioned the Ribbon 2 study. What's that looking at? So the Ribbon 2 trial was for those patients that progressed on Ribbon 1 and then would be randomized to receive either a different chemotherapeutic drug and then either to receive bevacizumab or not. So, so um, sort of like the German that, trastuzumab study, whether to continue a biologic? Correct. You know, the problem is in Ribbon 2, it's for the patients who did not receive bevacizumab first line. You know, so it's not the pure story. There's folks out there pushing for a real trial where you've continued bevacizumab and then you actually stop it or don't utilize it as opposed to using it in later lines of therapy. So those trials are hard to do. Patients get wedded to the therapies. Doctors have opinions. But it would be nice while we have the opportunity to really do the definitive study about whether bevacizumab should just be continued on through progression and switch chemotherapy versus not. It's been finally answered for trastuzumab, although not a very large trial. And I would suspect that while the impact decreases some, there's still a benefit to continuing the biologic.